morning. I don't know about you guys, but I have been thoroughly enjoying this Good Summer Read series. So it's been exciting for me to kind of dig into some people who we haven't looked at that closely in a while, or maybe some books of the Bible that I haven't taken a lot of time with recently, and, uh, and to hear about it. It's been a really exciting thing. And so one of the things um, that I was really excited about when, uh, when I found that I was going to be speaking about Esther was to get back into the book of Esther, because it's been a long time since I read it. And if I'm completely honest, the most recent retelling of Esther I, was, um, I had seen was probably the VeggieTale version. Um, and so whenever Mordecai would speak, I'd hear paw grape in my ear. Um, so it took me a while to get past that whole paw grape thing. But, uh, but it is an amazing book. And the more that I dug into it, the more I felt like this should not just be a good summer read. This should be like the next summer blockbuster because it has everything. It has intrigue and deceit. It has murder, mystery. It keeps you turning the pages and on the edge of your seat through the entire book. Um, so I want to encourage you. We're going to go through a lot of it today, but we won't get through all of it. Um, put it on your list. It is only nine chapters long, 25 minutes tops. You can do it. It's awesome, and it is well worth the read. You're going to get a lot out of it, I promise. But to fully appreciate Esther, I feel like we kind of have to go back in history a little bit first. We need to understand where exactly it is she is coming from. So we're going to go back to our friend Daniel. Uh, if you went to Sunday school as a kid, you'll remember Daniel in the lion's den and his friends Mish uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, right? So we're going to go back to Daniel. This was the time when King Nebuchadnezzar had taken over Jerusalem. He had basically trashed the temple, taken all of its goods, and started taking all of the Jewish people back to Babylon into Persia, and they became slaves. So not just Nebuchadnezzar, but a number of different kings who ruled after him would continue to push through all of Judah, capturing the Jewish people and taking them back to Persia and making them slaves for themselves. This went on for about 70 years. A little more context. We have Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're in that first wave taken back to Persia. And then we have Jeremiah, who was the prophet. So he said, hey, this is going to happen, and no one listened. And then he said, hey, God's going to rescue you to the people who were in exile in Persia. Okay, so he also ministered to them at that time period. And it is about 70 years before King Cyrus frees the Jews. Woohoo! Yay! Right? Free! Except... Let's think about it. It's been 70 years. We've been slaves. We're not exactly in a great position to pick up and move back home. Home that most of us were not born in. We've never been there. And it costs a lot. It requires a lot of supplies to take that trek back. So while, yes, there were a number of Jews who returned home, there were a lot of Jews who stayed in Persia and tried to figure out what it meant to live there as a free people. And that's where we find Esther. So Esther has been born in Persia. She was born oppressed. We know that her parents died while she was young. And it is her older cousin, Mordecai, who has raised her. Now, Mordecai, his family, they were back here with Daniel. 
So he, his family was kind of swept up when Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego were and taken into Babylon. So he, his family line goes directly back to that time period. He has stayed faithful to God. Certainly he has heard Jeremiah's preaching. Okay, and so he has raised Esther in this faith. Now, the king that is currently in power is King Xerxes. And he is a show-off of a king. This man likes to let everyone know how much wealth and power he has. In fact, he decides he's going to go on his 180-day look-at-me tour. So he spends 180 days traveling his lands, showing off his wealth, his power, his strength. And he ends it with a seven-day banquet. Yes, you heard that correct. A seven-day banquet, day and night, the best foods around. In fact, there are like three paragraphs devoted just to telling the details that no expense was spared. The opulence with which things were decorated, the food and wine which were served to the men who were gathered and invited to this banquet. And all of the men of the area were invited to this banquet, to this celebration. And on the seventh day, after he'd had quite a bit to drink, he decides that it would be a really good idea to call his wife, the queen, Vashti, in. He wants to show her off to everyone. He wants them to see how beautiful she is. And so he sends word. Now the queen is like, um, no thank you. That is why you have a harem. That's not my job. The queen does not get paraded around in front of your friends. So she refuses. Now the king really doesn't know what to do. He's embarrassed. The queen's denied him. <coughs> so you know that expression, don't make a federal case out of it? Yet, he made a federal case out of it. He calls all of his advisors around and says, the queen has refused me. What on earth shall I do? And you know what? They get a little worried. Because they're thinking, hmm, if the queen can say no to him, all the other women might start to think that they could say no to us. Huh. King, you got to take care of this. You got to nip this in the bud, buddy. You have got to send out a decree to all of your land saying that, hey, these women have to listen to their men. And that's exactly what the king does. So he sends out a decree far and wide that all of the women must listen to their king, and he banishes Vashti from the palace. Now, I'm just going to leave that right there. We're just going to look at it as a part of history and continue to move forward, okay? Because basically what happens is the king kind of calms down a little while later and realizes that he might have cut his nose off to spite his face because now he has no queen. So once again, he calls all of his advisors around and says, what on earth should I do? And they say, hey, you know, there's a lot of good-looking women out there. Let's go get them. Bring them here, and they can compete. You can decide who you like. 
he thinks that is a splendid idea. Now, how many of you watch The Bachelor or The Bachelorette? Yeah, you're not going to admit to it now, are you? Yeah. Um, FYI, this is like the real-life Bachelor on crack, okay? So Esther is one of these beautiful women that the men go and take from their homes and bring to the palace. And there's this kind of initial vetting where he's like, yes, 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 no, yes, yes, yes. But then, then they have to go through a one-year beautification process. Six months dedicated to incense, myrrh. Six months dedicated to cosmetics and costuming. And then you are fortunate enough to go before the king and see if he will choose you. I got to be honest with you. I'm not exactly sure what you wish for in that situation. Because I'm really not sure I want to be the next queen. Seeing what happens there. But if I'm not, then I'm going to be in that harem. And that's not a great option either. So really, it's bad and worse, I think. I'm not really sure. But Esther comes before the queen. And he is captivated by her. And he chooses her and names her his queen. Now, Mordecai has come to the palace gate every day to check on Esther. He can't see her, but her attendants faithfully will take messages back and forth between the two of them. He checks on her, he loves her, he continues to advise her from a distance. In fact, he's there so often, he actually overhears of a plot between the king's guards. They want to kill the king. He relays this back to Esther, who tells the king, and the plot is thwarted, and the king is saved. During this time period, we have another character in play. His name is Haman. And if we thought that King Xerxes had an ego problem, well, Haman's not far behind. Because he has been honored and he has been brought up throughout history and he has been named as his right-hand man, he feels that there are certain things due to him. And so whenever he goes to the palace gates, all of the people bow before him. All of the people except Mordecai. Mordecai is kind of like, yeah, you're really not all that. And I only bow to God. So it's, it's really not going to happen. And day after day, Mordecai refuses to bow before Haman. And this infuriates Haman. And he goes home and he tells his wife and his friends, and he says, this man refuses to bow before me. And they are like, dude, you better get on that, because this is going to get out of control really fast. So you need to do something about this. And so he makes plans to kill Mordecai. But that's not enough. No, you see, he discovers that Mordecai is, in fact, Jewish. And so he decides that the entire Jewish race that is still in Persia must pay for Mordecai's sins. And he begins to plot and scheme a way to destroy all of the Jews. And so he goes before the king. He says, king, 
there are these people. They're kind of living among us, but they're different from us. They don't speak the same language. They don't believe the same things we believe. And I think it's in your best interest, King, to get rid of them. Let's get rid of them. And I feel so strongly about this, I'm willing to pay for it, Your Highness. I'm willing to chip in the money, and we will just exterminate them all. And the king's like, oh, well, if you say so. In fact, don't even worry about paying for it. Do what you want with the people. And so Haman sets a date and sends out a decree from the king saying that on this date, all Jews are to be killed. The country is in shock. Because while certainly they were oppressed, they, they gave no reason to be killed or destroyed. There was no reason for this response. And all the Jews throughout the land went into mourning. And Mordecai sent a message to Esther. He said, Esther, you have got to go to the king. You are the only person who can save the Jewish people. You have got to go before him. And this is Esther's first response. Then Esther told Hathach to go back and relay this message to Mordecai. All the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know that when anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter. And the king has not called for me to come to him for 30 days. So Hathach gave Esther's message to Mordecai. Clearly, she is in a pickle. She is caught between a rock and a hard place. If she approaches the king without being summoned, and he's in a bad mood, she's as good as dead. But... If he extends to her the gold scepter, well, that might even be worse. Because now she has to go before the king and explain to him, one, oh, by the way, I'm a Jew, which I never told you. And now I've just condemned myself to the same death that you decreed every Jew have. And two, your right-hand man, he's manipulating you. This is all a plot of revenge. Either way, this isn't looking very good for her. She's pretty sure the end result is going to be death. And to add insult to injury, she's like, dude, he hasn't called for me in 30 days. You see, the king is the king. And so he gets to decide who he wants to have dinner with at night. 
So he may call for the queen and have dinner with her, or he may call for someone in his harem to have dinner with her. And really, it's all at his whim. So here she is, and she's saying, look, he hasn't called for me in 30 days. And that's a little woohoo. And at the same time, that's a little, gosh, have I fallen from his graces. Now you want me to go in and put my life in his hands, and he hasn't even called for me in 30 days. This might not go well. This is Mordecai's response. Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all the other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. Yikes. He's not holding anything back there, is he? There's a couple of things I want to grab onto. Because there's a couple of things that really jump out at me. The first is Mordecai's faith. His faith in God doesn't waver. He knows the promises that God has made to the Jewish people. He knows that God has promised to deliver them. And he's like, look, girlfriends, you can be a part of this or not, but either way, God's going to do it. It never wavers. He doesn't doubt. God's promises are true. Boy, do I want faith like that. I want faith like that when the world seems to be crashing in. When I look around and I see darkness at every corner and I'm just not sure how or when things are going to change. I want the faith of Mordecai to know God is true to his promises. And he has promised to never leave us or forsake us. He has promised to use all things for the good of those who love him. I want that kind of faith. The other thing he does is he offers her perspective. He is able to look at her situation and see God's hand in it. She's had a rough life. Born into oppression, her parents are dead. Lifetime commitment to the bachelor. It's not all fun and games. But he is able to look and say, hey, maybe God has used these awful things that have happened to you. Maybe he is waiting to invite you to do something amazing with them. Sometimes when we're stuck in the middle of situations, we can't see God's hand. Our emotions are too wrapped up. And we need a Mordecai to come into our lives and say, hey, here's where I see God working. Sometimes we need a Mordecai to come to our lives and say, hey, not all about you. God might be doing something bigger here. 
know I need it. Never ceases to amaze me how far down the road of my dreams, my desires, my wants, I can get. And usually after I've been chasing my dreams and my agenda, I will wake up feeling like something just isn't right. Something's off. Things aren't what I wanted or thought they should be. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you're there right now. That perfect job you took? Yeah, it's not so perfect. Your marriage? Hmm. Doesn't look quite like what you thought marriage would look like. Those friendships? really trying. That bank account that was going to provide me security, there's just never enough in it. It's easy for our emotions to get caught up in our agenda, our wants, and our desires. And sometimes we need a Mordecai to come along and remind us to shift our focus. Where is God in the midst of this? He's offering us an opportunity. And that's what Mordecai says to Esther. He is offering you an opportunity a chance to partner with God in the amazing things that he is about to do. God is offering to use Esther. Who knows that perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. Will she respond? Will she stay stuck? Sometimes I feel like that's where I stay. I feel stuck my wants, stuck my agenda. Matthew 6.33 tells us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be given to you as well. It's usually around this time when I recognize that I have put something else first. I've been seeking after something that was not his kingdom and his righteousness, but was my plan, my desire. Psalm 37.4 says, If we delight ourselves in the Lord, then he will give us the desires of our hearts. I love this. I love this because it's saying when we make God's will, our will, then the things that we desire will naturally become things that he desires. He will give us the desires of our hearts. 
when we seek God first, everything falls into alignment. Sometimes we need someone to help us see that. Sometimes we need that outside voice. Let's see how Esther responds after Mordecai shifts her focus. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. And if I must die, I must die. And so Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Esther's perspective shifts. She realizes that she needs to face her fear. And if she must die, she's willing to die. Now, the reality is that these days in America, very rarely are we going to be forced to make a decision in following Jesus that will result in our mortality. Rarely does that decision mean we're going to die. But sometimes it means that our agenda has to die. Sometimes it means that our priorities have to die. Sometimes it means that the image we have made of our perfect life or our perfect marriage or our perfect bank account has to die so that we can embrace the right here, right now that God has gifted to us. Esther's road was not going to be easy and ours may not be easy. But when we choose day by day, step by step, to put our agenda to die and to put our eyes on God, to walk with him, to partner with him in what he is doing, blessings are amazing. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. As I was writing this sermon, I realized, really, there are two sermons here. And they only gave me one Sunday. So you're going to have to read the rest on your own. I promise it's great. Because I really wanted to tell you about how incredibly wise and cunning Esther is. I wanted to tell you how she knew her audience. And how everything she did was intentional and filled with wisdom. I wanted to tell you all about how God is so just. I've brought you through chapter four. Chapters five through nine of Esther you have to do on your own. It's a great summer read. 
But you know what? There's an even greater summer read that's being written right now. It's your story. He's calling you. He's asking you to look the death of your agenda, your desire in the face, and to say, yes, Lord, I choose you. Will you stand with me? So as you go out, know that you have a God who loves you. You have a God that loves you so much that he came and died for you. You have a God who loves you so much that he goes before you and paves your way. You have the greatest author, the author of the universe, writing your story. Now go and make it an incredible summer read.